to chapter 4 and the first three verses of chapter 5, which are up on the screen. I'm going to encourage you to follow along as we let the Lord speak to us through His Word. Starting at verse 16, And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. <clears throat> By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love church because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. Let's look at verse 20 one more time. <clears throat> if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. This is the commandment that we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Whoever, now this, this you should highlight in your Bibles, if you have your own Bible. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So let's take a moment and tease this apart right slide four, Cindy. Let's take a look at the text here. We have come to know, meaning in the Greek, still know, still recognize, and still understand, and have believed. Believing means we put our faith and trust in and rely on the Lord. The love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides, the one who continually remains in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. Ooh. So, just recapping, what do we learn, just briefly in our last time together? We know and rely on the fact that God really does love us. And the way that you and I know and understand the love that God the Father has for you and I is through what he did when he sent his only son into the world to die on a cross so that we could be redeemed. We learned that his love for us was revealed through the cross. We learn that everything comes to those who believe through what Christ accomplished on the cross. Now, when the cross becomes the center of our thinking, 
then self ceases to be the center of our thinking. So then, for God to remain in us and us in Him, our faith, trusting in and relying on Him, must be in what He accomplished for us at the cross, what Jesus has accomplished for you and I. Slide 5. We looked at what the great theologian F.F. Bruce thought about this verse. I love this. He says, and look at this. Don't let this gloss over. Look at this. The love which dwells in the community of God's children and which they show to one another is his, God's love, imparted to them. More than that, the, the God of love imparts himself to his people, so dwelling within them that they in turn dwell in his love and dwell in him. Wonderful statement. Slide six. By this love is perfected, and there's that word to tell to tell us die. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Jesus, the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. I want to tease this verse apart a little bit for us. Look at that word perfected. I'm trying to obey Cheryl and not turn my back on all you guys. By this perfected, this love is perfected. There's your agape. By this love is perfected. That word perfected, that word teleo, means to be completed, full-grown, accomplished. So that begs the question, how is this love perfected or accomplished in you and I? What does the text say? Church, it's accomplished only one way, and that is through a close, intimate, ongoing union with Jesus Christ that our love for each other can be fully accomplished. It is revealed, church, and it is expressed in the way that you and I treat each other and serve each other. That's how it's put on full display. Remember that if we are truly, truly loving each other, we are revealing that God is in us and we are in him. And he gives us the result of that love being accomplished. He says, we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Okay, John, what did you mean when you used this word confidence here? What are you telling us, John? Well, I want you to think in your mind that word confidence. Boldness. The idea here is the belief that one can rely on or trust someone completely. Do you rely on and trust Christ completely? That's the question you ask yourself. Hear me this morning. If we, church, do not love each other the way it should be, it would seem then that our confidence is very low and that we do not really think that God loves us and we start struggling or are struggling with unbelief. Are you struggling this morning with unbelief? Be honest, the Lord knows anyway. Are you struggling with unbelief? Or do you have confidence? John is saying we may have confidence 
when this day of judgment comes? Do you have that confidence? Are we doubting God? By our unbelief, are we actually telling God, listen, God, you know, I really don't trust you completely, nor do I have confidence in you, even in the day of judgment. Slide seven. Some, some questions. Do we believe that we can rely on and trust Jesus Christ completely? Does church, does the way you and I live out each day, does that reveal to others that we do in fact trust in and rely on the Christ? Slide eight. So, what is the day of judgment that John is speaking of here this morning? This is important. There's one fact that every human being on earth knows. Someday you're going to drop dead. You're going to die. You are not going to live in that body here on earth forever. Someday it's going to give out and it's done. It's over. They can hit you with the paddles a thousand times. You're not coming back. Do you have confidence in the Christ and what he accomplished for you on that cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago? The day of judgment. Church, that's the final judgment or the final time that we stand before God. It is that time when all people will be brought before Christ. So we want Scripture to validate Scripture. Where else can we see that? There's a lot of verses. I'm just going to give you a few. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all, not some, look at it. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you see that? That each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. We must all appear before the judgment, the, the crena seat, that bema seat of Christ so that we're going to be recompensed for our deeds while we're in these human bodies according to what we've done, whether good or bad. Romans 14.10 But you... Why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Why do you have that disdain for your brother? For we will all stand before the Bema seat of God, that judgment seat of God. Slide 9. Want more? Okay. <clears throat> How about Hebrews 9.27? This is why some of our friends believe in purgatory. This verse completely destroys purgatory. Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die, how many times? What's it say? Once, and then what? The judgment. It doesn't say that you get a do-over. It doesn't say you can go somewhere else and maybe earn your way back. It is appointed once for you and I to die, then the judgment. And then Revelation 20 Verse 12, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before that thronos, the throne, and the books were opened. Don't think for a minute your deeds, your words, and all are not being recorded. The books were opened. Another book was opened. That book's called the book of life. So there's books in heaven. They're open. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their what? 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that? There's a book. There's several books. As you just read the text, I'm just reading what the text says. God is telling you, hey, your deeds are being recorded. Everything that you say, think, do is being recorded. And you and I are going to be judged. And if you're not covered by the crimson blood of Christ, you're in trouble. There's no get out of jail free card here. There's no government pardon. There's no parole. There's nothing that can wipe the slate clean except one thing, and that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. But John goes on to say something else. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. Well, back in verse 16, what does it say? God is love. Church, hear me this morning. It is God the Holy Spirit who is a person that dwells in the heart of every believer. If you are truly born again, <clears throat> you're not in there alone. You're never alone. If you're a believer, you are not alone. The Bible doesn't lie. It is God the Holy Spirit that permanently indwells the heart of every believer. <clears throat> and he loves us with an unconditional love, the agape love, the highest form of love. As I shared with you before, this is important. Don't forget what I'm teaching you this morning. His love for you and I is never predicated or determined by our behavior. God does not unlove you because you screw up and sin and do bad things if you're his child. God's love for us also is no way determined by you and I. It's in spite of you and I. It's not determined by you. You don't determine to God, well, I think I'll choose to love you because you're just a nice person. No. That's been revealed through the scriptures and as well as Christ's death on the cross for us. Here's something else. I know we don't like this, but it's the truth. God's love for you and I is not controlled by you and I. It's not controlled by you. You know, if you walk the old lady across the street or you drop some coins in the UNICEF box at the Wawa, that's great that you would do that stuff, but you don't control how God loves you. He loves you with unconditional love. It's not controlled by what we say. It's not controlled by how we act. It's not controlled by what we do. His love for us is never under our control. Thank God. His love is not something that we have to earn. In fact, here's something, church, you need to understand. You and I could never earn it. Ever earn it. John finishes with, so also are we in this world. He's making that link, that comparison. What does that mean for you and I? How do we take this scripture, draw out of the text what it is saying to us, and say, God, how do we apply this text to our life? Because as he is, so also, also, we are in the world. What does that mean? That means, and this is the hard part for us, our attitude and our love for each other must never be determined or controlled in any way by what other people like or show or how they behave. Your love for somebody should not be predicated on their behavior. We are to look at others who are our brothers and sisters in Christ 
and lay aside self. Ouch. Got quiet in here, Dr. Carter. We forgive others. Why? Because he forgave us. By the way, just a caveat here. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you forget. Doesn't mean that there's some big spiritual eraser in there and goes, shoot, shoot, done. No. Forgiveness means that you choose not to make the offending party pay for how they hurt you. You absorb the cost yourself. That's what Jesus did for you. That's true forgiveness. You choose not to make the person that hurt you pay for how they hurt you. You absorb the cost yourself. And you can do that because he forgave you. It's what God has done for you and I and continues to do for you and I. Slide 10, Cindy. How about verse 18? I love how John just builds and builds and builds on this. There is no fear in love. See that first word? That's the word phobos or phobos. It's where we get the word phobia from. You can't turn. It's a shame. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. See that? There's no fear in love. Think what the text is saying. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So, John, what are you saying? There's no fear in love. John, what kind of fear are you talking about here? It seems like John's talking about this dread. He was just talking the previous verse about the day of judgment. This begs the question then, based on what the text says, how do you see yourself on the day of judgment? I mean, think about it. We so easily forget all the things we do wrong and thoughts, words, deeds, actions, and motives. And it's so much easier for us to sit there and look at so-and-so and, you see what so-and-so did over there? Very easy to do that, isn't it? You know, but God does a great job with cataract surgery in the heart, and he has a great visine treatment to get the red out. It's called the blood of Christ. Day of judgment is what he was talking about. Fear can torment our hearts. You feel that something's going to happen to you. Fear causes anxiety, it causes panic. And if you are not truly born again, if you have not truly come to saving faith in Christ, then there is fear and dread. Church, think about it. What's your ultimate destiny? John is clearly spelling out for you and I that fear involves punishment. And, you know, it's a very strong word. The word is colossus that he's using. Uh, this, this means penal infliction, torment. Church, we need to understand something. There is a day of judgment that is coming. God is not forgetful he's not up there having amnesia there is a day of judgment coming and why do we live like it's never going to happen why do we do that here's the thing for the Christian John brings comfort to our hearts because John says but there's that but that noony day that but perfect love casts out fear Literally in the Greek, that, that, perf, that the word cast means that love drives out the fear. 
because you know who you are in Christ. You know that you've surrendered your life to him. You know that you're covered by the blood. See, church, Christians, true Christians, should be free, they should be free from the fear of judgment because love and fear are incompatible because there is no fear, no dread in love. There's no suspicion. So this begs the question, what is this perfect love? Well, we've already seen it in the previous text. What has salvation done for us? What happened when Christ went to the cross and bled and died on that cross at Calvary? Beard pulled out, punched in the face, crown of thorns, beaten onto his head with a reed. All of the, 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 the brutality that, that Christ endured for us to pay our sin debt in full. What has salvation done for us? Church has enabled each of us to love God and love each other. That's what the text is telling us. Remember that God is love and his spirit dwells in the heart of every believer. And, and the thing that's just unimaginable is we sin every day in thoughts, words, deeds, actions, and motives. We even sin in our prayers. And God still says, I love you unconditionally. No strings attached. Love from God comes into the heart of a Christian and drives out the fear. Slide 11. I like what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. One of the greatest preachers. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. <clears throat> As I contemplate myself standing before God on the day of judgment, I know perfectly well I am a sinner. Can we say that about ourselves? I have offended God. I've broken his law and have forgotten him. <clears throat> That's me and you. I have not loved him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's me and you. I have been guilty of sins against his people and against myself. I am a sinner. How can I stand there? There is only one way in which I can stand, and that is to know and believe that he sent forth his son to bear my sins in his own body on that cross. Hiding in Christ, nothing else can give me peace at that point. I may say that I have done a lot of good, but what is the value of good to counteract the evil that I have done? There's one thing. It is Christ. I am abiding in him. I hope we can all say that, church. Slide 12. 1 John 4.19 We love because he first loved us. See, John gives us a comparison here. We can only love God because he first loved us. The origin of love originated out of God. Church, we'd have no clue of what love is if God had not revealed it to us. We love God because of the power influence of his own love towards you and I. We need to understand something. You and I are incapable of love apart from the Lord. Again, I want to point out that God's love for us is never based on anything in us to produce it. 
That's the working definition of grace. He loves you and I in spite of ourselves. Does that comfort you? Slide 13, Cindy. If someone says, I love God, yet he hates his brother. That's a strong word for hate up there, by the way. Maseo. He's a liar. That's where we get the word pseudo from. For the one who does not love his brother <clears throat> whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Boy, there's a lot in that verse. John says, if someone says, I love God, yet he hates his brother, he's a liar. John's not mincing words or pulling punches, is he? He's just saying, you know what? If you have hate for your brother, you're a liar. You are a liar. Now, just so we're clear, let's define what John meant when he used the word hate. It's a very powerful word. It's the word miseo that's up there. I want you to, 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 to get the full nuance of the, the, the Greek and the text of this verse here. This word miseo that he has up here, the, the idea is to detest somebody. It also has the flavor of this calculated or intentional dislike. You, you are passionately disliking this person. You have uh, uh, this, this complete disgust and almost this intense hostility and aversion towards someone. That's miseo. That's hate. If any of that resides in your heart towards your brother and you say, I agape toy or love God, the Bible, forget me, I am insignificant. The Bible says we're liars. We're liars. Here's some tough questions, slide 14. How do we practice hate? You know, this is all about you and I being completely naked and transparent before God this morning. Here, or here's some questions. How do we practice hate? Who are the people in your life right now that you hate? People that you don't even speak to. That person wronged me. I'm never talking to that person again, ever. Who are the people whom you find yourselves hurling out profanity at? Think about it. Who are the people that you have so much bitterness and anger in your heart that you're actually hurling out profanity? Is profanity part of the natural way you speak? Or does God own your words? Who, who are the people who we are extremely annoyed with who we want nothing to do with? Quiet in here, Professor. Man. Who are we so angry with right now that we have chosen to become the king and ruler of our heart and not forgive? Not even speak to. Who are those people? Yet we say we love God. Who are those whom we detest, who we intentionally Intent, the intentionality is to dislike that person. Is the Lord bringing anyone or any group of people to your mind right now that you need to repent of? Anybody at all? Perfect love casts out fear, church. If I say, God, I love you, and yet I hate, 
I practice this kind of hate, I'm, I'm lying to you, Lord. I'm lying to you. I'm just preaching what the text says, church. Hear me this morning. If you and I do not engage the word of God, there is no growth away from sin. You're either in the word or you're not. There's no halfway. There's not like a little flickering glimpse of one minute in there and then you're on your way, you did your good duty. If you're not in the word, you're not growing. That's just the way it is. Because when you're not in the word, you're not allowing God to speak to you. Because the way that God speaks to us today is through his word. This is sufficient right here. Everything you need to know is right here. This is the sufficiency of scripture right here in your hands this morning on the screen. Slide 15. If someone says, I love God, he's his brother, he's a liar. You know, one of the things I wanted to notice here is John's not beating around the bush. He's not beating around the bush. The, the, the acid test for whether or not you and I really love God is revealed in how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ and our family. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You know, it's interesting. The words whom he has seen is actually in the Greek, it's in the perfect tense. What does that mean? Let me read the text again and help you understand the importance of the perfect tense here in the Greek. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The words whom he has seen. See, the perfect tense represents an action in the past that has resulted in the future. In the future. So if I got saved back here, I came to a true salvation in Christ, it's still affecting my present behavior and how I live here in the present. No matter how many years has gone by. Okay? So here in the text, it speaks of someone whom you have seen in the past or continue to see, and you have still chosen not to forgive that person. So something happened back here. This is the perfect tense for you today in modernism. You had an altercation or a fight or a blowout or horrible words said back here, and it could be one, two, five, ten, twenty years later, and you still have that anger and bitterness right there that we just went over here in the present. For the one who does not love his brother who's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. Is there someone who perhaps fits this category? Someone who you have not forgiven? Someone that maybe you hate. And you are still hating all this time later. Church, John is clearly telling us that is, if this is how you and I are right now, we cannot love God whom we cannot see. That's what he says. That's what the text says. I know, as my father-in-law would say, it's hard to fit in our ears, but the text is clear. It is impossible for you and I to truly love God if we fail to love our brothers and sisters. If we are truly treating others with hate in our hearts, the Bible says, forgive me, the love of God is not in you. Your, your, your anger, rage, bitterness, and hate is still the controlling principle of your life right now. Whoo! Quiet. Slide 16, Cindy. And John doesn't stop there. Look at verse 21. John doesn't say, well, if you feel like it or, you know, you know sun shining on your face today maybe look what he says in verse 21 this is a commandment an entole a commandment we have from him 
It's not up for discussion with God. It's a commandment. The one who loves God should love his brother. He can actually be his brother and sister also. Commandment. What is a commandment? A 12-year-old girl came up and pulled on your coat and said, Hey, I need to work a definition of the word commandment for school tomorrow. What would be your working definition of the word commandment? Think about it. Commandment. It's a rule or precept that must be obeyed. The traffic light is red. That doesn't mean, well, maybe if you feel like stop and stop, it means stop. Still waiting for Cheryl's signs of green and red up there for me. <laughs> means stop. John is not saying to love your brother only if you feel like it or if they become nice to you or if they come up and say, please forgive me. No, in fact, the text states that loving a brother is and a sister is a command that must be obeyed. In fact, slide 17, he told us this back when he wrote the book of John, not 1 John, this is going back. John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That even as is also in the present tense. It's a, the present tense speaks of this ongoing, continuous action. John is pointing out here that the measure of our love for each other is set by the love that Jesus has for us. That's the, that's the way it's set, church. That's our measuring rod. Since Jesus continually loves you and I, we are then to continually keep loving each other even if we don't want to. And if we are disobeying this command, we are revealing that we have a false love toward God. Slide 18. John now goes in, as we go into chapter 5, verse 1, John says this, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the children born of him. All right, John. Boy, you just keep piling it on, John. Here it is. Whoever believes. Who's that? Pisteo? Yep, Pistisamon. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born. There's the genitae. That means to cause to be. Can't turn, sorry. Can't teach. Whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the God. Here's a question. Do we remember what the word Jesus means? And do you remember what the word Christ means? It's not like Christ is not Jesus' last name. Think about it. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. In 1 John 3.23, he says, <clears throat> This is his commandment that we believe in, meaning we put our trust in, adhere to, and rely on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, and love one another just as he commanded us. He says that we believe. That's pistisamon that you just saw on the screen. That means to put your faith in and trust in, adhere to, and rely on. <clears throat> there's, there's 
There's also a flavor in this of, I'm going to walk in obedience with you, Lord. That's what the word believes, and it's in the present tense. You believed back here, and you still believe here. You put your faith and trust, and you came to a saving faith in Christ back here, and you are still trusting and adhering it and relying on him today. It's an ongoing, continuous results throughout the rest of your life. And he tells us in both verses that we are to believe in. Who is the object of our faith, church? The name of his son, Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Church, hear me this morning. To believe in his name or to believe in the name of God the Father's Son, Jesus Christ, is to place our faith in all that Jesus is. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation, or the Lord is my deliverer. So when you're calling out on Jesus, you are talking who is the one who is your salvation and deliver her. That is Jesus. You are believing in all that he is. That Jesus is, of course, the human name given to the Son of God when he was born, which reveals that he also became totally human. What about the word Christ? Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised and expected deliverer, the one who redeems his people. So if a person truly believes the scriptures concerning Jesus Christ, the text says, then you are born of God. You are born of God. Important word, the word born. That's the word gigenite. It means to procreate. It's also in the perfect tense. What does that mean? It means that every person that God has chosen to save in the past will continue to give evidence that he or she is saved in the present and the way that we continually love each other reveals that very fact that we are truly born of God. To genitate, to cause to be. He is the cause of your salvation. You are not. And then John finishes up with, whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. A person who is born of God loves God. Why? Because, church, hear me. God has recreated you and I into a new person. He caused you to be a new person. So a person who truly loves God will also love God's offspring and other believers as well. Church, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ they have also been born of God and made into new creatures. Slide 19. What does that mean? It means we are of the same new family created in Christ. We have the same God, because there's only one true and living God anyway. We have the same Father. We have the same rebirth. We have the same adoption. So then if a person has truly been born again by God, then he loves the family of God that he's a part of. And if he or she does not love the family of God, they're not born again. Slide 20. We're almost done. About another 85 minutes. No, I'm kidding. Slide 20. 
Verse 2 and 3. By this we know. Like Gnosis. By this we have this knowledge. We know that we love the children of God. Now here's, here's, here's the condition. When we love God and observe His commandments. So when we love God and observe His commandments, we know that we're His children. Do we do that? For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Oh, if I'm a Christian, I can't have any fun. You really don't know what being a Christian is. It just seems that John keeps piling on more and more new evidence of this new birth. The love we are to have for others is grounded in the love you and I have for God. Church, ask yourself this. Forgive me, please. Do you love him? Do you love him? The person who loves God and the children of God is somebody that wants to please God and wants to keep his commandments. Can that be said about us? Now, do we remember that word commandment, right? A rule, a precept that must be obeyed. You know, if we really love him, we, we want to obey him. We want to put a smile on his face. We want to please him. Slide 21. John, back in, when he wrote the book of John, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Did you notice here, you can see this pattern. It seems from the text that our love for God and our love for others is, is, is riveted together. It's interrelated. It's like two bookends coming together. The text also seems to imply that our love for God is what strengthens our love for our brothers and sisters. The more I can love the Lord and honor him and draw close to him and let him talk to me, the more I am enabled to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. So our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is proof of our love for God. Church, it's impossible for us to love God if we don't love his offspring. John finishes verse 3 with, His commandments are not burdensome. What comes to your mind when you think of the word burdensome? What comes to your mind? Mariea. When, when John's using the word burdensome here, he's talking about something that's a real heavy load, something that's just weighing you down, something that is just so incredibly difficult to hold up and bear. And he's saying that God's commandments are not this, this heavy load. Church, there are people who try to say that God's commands are this real burden. And, and people today, and I don't know why, think that his commands keep a person from enjoying the pleasures and possessions of this world. They, they, they feel that, well, if I'm going to be a Christian... I'm not allowed to have fun and enjoy and have any earthly pleasure. There's nowhere in the Bible that says God doesn't want that for you. Not one text that says that. They, they feel that the commands and demands of God are far too much a price to pay, and yet, if you're really digging his word and get to know him intimately, it's just the opposite. None of the commands that God has given you and I are oppressive. None of them are crushing. None of them are something that would weigh you down. In fact, church, 
It is God who gives the believer the ability to live up to the standards he sets for the believer. He enables you to be able to do it. But when you're not in the word and you're not communicating with him and you're treating him like a long-distance date that you call once in a while if you're alone, you don't have a relationship with him. Jesus, listen, Jesus doesn't weigh us down with worthless laws that have no meaning. Slide 22. I like what Daniel Aiken says in his commentary. Daniel Aiken says, Jesus does not weigh down his people with meaningless laws that do not affect the heart. He gives commands that reveal. Look at it. He gives commands that reveal to us the heart of God and direct our hearts to God. Slide 23. What did Jesus say in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30? Look what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It doesn't say go down to the liquor store and suck down the booze and get drunk. It doesn't say, you know, go get illegal drugs and just, just numb your brain in admission. It doesn't say that. He's not saying, hey, let's go to the world for comfort. Let's visit the land of idols, the promised freedom, and only deliver slavery. It doesn't say that. It says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus is your rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. He proved that for you when he went to the cross. You will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is life. I don't see any crushing, weighing me down, heavy burden there that I should carry. What does Jesus mean when he uses the word weary and heavy laden? The word weary, as it's used here, has the idea of being fatigued and just, just, just tired, just exhausted. You're weary, you're tired, you're exhausted. The idea of heavy laden has the idea of you're holding all these grievous cares. When Jesus says, cast all your anxiety upon me because I care for you. But you're carrying it yourself. You're, you're self-oppressed, you're troubled. Anybody ever felt that way before? Jesus says, listen, come to me. I'm going to give you rest. The idea for rest here, come to me. I'm going to give you some reviving and refreshing. I'm not some tyrant who doesn't care about you. He says, listen, drop that big, heavy yoke that you're carrying around that's just constricting you and choking the life out of you. Set that down. Cast it over onto me. Take my yoke upon you, but not just take it upon you. Learn from me. So a lot of people say, well, what is a yoke, Pastor Jack? Well, I'm glad you asked that. See, back then, and I think some of them still today may be this way, a yoke is actually made out of wood. A yoke was made to fit around the neck and shoulders of an animal, a donkey or a horse. The yoke actually was part of this harness 
that was used to pull the car to plow. You've seen them. They just go around, wrap around. But church, the yoke had a purpose. It was how the master was able to control the animal and give guidance to the animal so the animal could perform the work that he was intended to perform. Do you see it? That's exciting. You're exchanging a yoke that you were never supposed to carry for his. Because he's gentle, humble, and hard. Again, we know that's the very opposite of how the world is. He says, you will find rest, refreshment, rejuvenation for your soul. Church, hear me this morning as I finish up. Jesus was never cruel. He was never puffed up in pride towards us. He's always been gentle, patient with all of us. Church, if he ever gave us all what we really deserve, there wouldn't be one of us alive today. Jesus will never oppress you. He will never throw junk on you. Submitting your life over to him will liberate us from oppression of sin in our lives. So as I close... If you're here this morning and you have hate in your heart, I want to encourage you to bow your heads and give it to God right now. If you have anger and bitterness in your heart, unforgiveness towards somebody, I want to encourage you to give that to the Lord and let the love of God just, just flood through you. We, we really don't have much time left you know, the Lord could really come at any time. Now is the time for you to get right with God. If you're here this morning, you're listening around the world through Sermon Audio or Facebook, now is the time for you to get right with God. Now is the time for your walk with the Lord to get right. Now is the time if there's people you need to forgive, that you forgive them. You absorb the cost yourself. You choose not to make them pay for what they did to you. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for you. If Jesus made you pay for what you did for him, you would be burning in hell for all eternity. If you were to drop dead today, this afternoon, this evening, and you were ushered in front of that beam of seat of God, and Jesus would look you in the eyes and say, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? There's only one correct answer. Because Christ, you died on that cross for my sins. You paid my sin debt in full. I'm not worthy to come in here, but you obviously love me enough that you shed your blood on that cross. And Lord, I have placed my faith and trust in you alone as my not only my Savior, but my Lord, which has all the flavor of walking in obedience with him. I want to encourage you, Mondays and Thursday nights, why isn't God worth 60 minutes? Why? Why isn't he worth 60 minutes to come out and be with believers and be in a devotional, be in prayer, be in the teaching on Thursday nights? Why isn't God worth it? I mean, if the television can suck up 18 hours a week of your life when you're just like, <laughs> why isn't God, why is it so hard, the very God that knits you in your mother's womb, why is it so hard to open up and let him talk to you? It seems we want all the blessings from God while we, and all the treats from God while we're running away from him. 
like a snatch and grab job. It's not a relationship. That's an insult. That's disrespect. I want to encourage you. This is life that you are flashing through your mind right now, that you have bitterness, anger, rage, or hate towards. Whoever they may. It could be a mom, dad, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends. I don't know. Whoever it is. Choose not to make that offending party, party pay. Absorb the cost yourself. And put Jesus on full display. And Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for anything from you, Lord. I don't deserve anything from you, Lord. Model the forgiveness that you modeled for us. So that people could see that for us. So that people could see that you are alive. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to be your, your mouthpiece. You will only what is necessary for us that we impart grace to the hearer. And that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we are sealed on the day of redemption. We're to let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, and evil, all malice. And we ask this in the name of, of all names. We're going to lay a song or look up. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord.